This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your, I don't know, <laughs> superhero <laughs> host, Javi. And, and we're back in the world of Marvel. Uh, this is probably the first Marvel movie we've done in about maybe a year or at least the last six, seven months. It's We haven't gone, <laughs> it's been a while since we've gone this long without a comic book movie. Yeah, it really is. We're, I mean... I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm glad we're not like just a comic book movie podcast, but that yes. was a linchpin of our a lot of our content for a while. Yeah. And it almost I almost got fatigued from it, I think, when we went through like that whole second half of a year where we did like a bunch of Marvel movies. Um, but I'm very excited for the movie that we, you know, are reviewing today. Uh for a few reasons. So you know, one of the movies that was recommended to us by a listener of the show was for us to review uh, Wakanda Forever, the second Black Panther movie. And uh, it pretty much has given us the excuse to go back and watch the original Black Panther movie from 2018, which we had not done for this podcast yet. And I think it's also important for us to 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 make a point of this, is that this is our first Ryan Coogler movie that we're doing on this podcast. I'm glad we're going to split them up because the original plan was to do a, like an all Ryan Coogler month. Yeah. And I don't know if I could have made it through all that. <laughs> Not in a bad way, just in a, look, the guy makes very like dense movies. Yes. Also that and, you know, let's, I, I guess we can go a little bit behind the curtain here on this. Um, we don't know Ryan Coogler personally. Uh, but he grew up, you know, in he grew up really in the same area that we grew up in, in the Bay Area. Um, he's very close to us in age. And, you know, throughout the course of the last decade, I've discovered that I know at least a few people that know him. <laughs> so it's one of those weird things where I'm reviewing someone who I don't personally know, but I know through other people. We're not trying to become best friends with Ryan Coogler. <laughs> but I just, you know, if we get to a point where I get to sell merch brand with you know, his name on it that says Ryan Coogler loves Do We Like Movies podcast. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. I'll tell a personal story without revealing many details about things. But the year that my wife and I got married, um, I think the Thanksgiving after that was when Creed came out, right? And that was his second movie. So his first movie, 2013, Fruitvale Station which is uh, based on the true story of the murder of Oscar Grant. And that one is really crazy for me because 2009, you know, Oscar Grant was very much around the same age that I was. Um, 
I went to community college in San Francisco. I took the BART train, you know, regularly. Um, it, like I was a commuter at that time. Um, and funny enough, <laughs> I had the most bizarre like connection with the Fruitvale BART station. If you if you just if hopefully our listeners enjoy the banter and like the many different tangents that we're gonna go on on this episode. But um, <laughs> Fruitvale in Oakland, like that Fruitvale neighborhood in Oakland, that's where my orthodontist used to be. <laughs> so when I had braces, I used to have to like travel to Fruitvale and take the train station there to get my braces tightened uh, or like, you know, redone, removed and, and do all my orthodontist work there. Um, and so I was very familiar with the station. 2009 is when he was killed on New Year's Eve, you know, uh, at the Fruitvale BART station by a BART police officer. So for those who don't know, BART is the local commuter train in the Bay Area. Uh, It's essentially like a subway, you know, metro train. Um, And it was also caught on video and like in the early days of, you know, cell phone video, like very choppy you know, it was all over our local news when the incident had occurred. And for me, it was probably the first time that I had seen something so shocking on video since probably the Rodney King like video from the early nineties. Like seriously, Mm -hmm. like we really didn't get, we really weren't at a point at that time where we were watching, unfortunately, so many videos of like people getting killed by police officers and that one was really like my first, you know, one that I saw. And, um, it, you know, when Ryan Coogler made the film that came out in 2013, um, and the other thing too, like I also, we, we know people who knew Oscar Grant, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, 2013 is when, you know, Ryan Coogler makes his first film it starts doing the festival, you know, circuit. And uh, there was even some Oscar buzz around it. So I go and I watch it and I'm like, great. It's, it's, you know, it's Ryan Coogler and the guy from Friday night lights. Right. Because, you know, Michael B. Jordan at that time was, he was known for Friday night lights. He was known for the wire. Um, He hadn't really done a ton. I don't think up until that point. And, and he kind of, his career has kind of taken off from this relationship that he develops with uh, Ryan Coogler, where they, you know, have basically been in all their movies together at this point. Well, I think he was still, I think he was coming off of Chronicle too. That's true. Yeah. He was doing a lot of like, he was doing a lot of like teen roles, like very common teen roles. Like he was, like he was doing, yeah. Like you said, Friday night lights where he looked like a child. There was the wire where he was a child. (laughs) And then the Chronicle where he was yeah, still probably this young kid. Yeah. And that was funny because it's like I there's an actor here's an actor that I associate so much with being like from Oakland and he's totally not which is the he's part. absolutely not but that's because of his relationship with Ryan Coogler like you know like he and Ryan Coogler got this Scorsese De Niro thing going on where they collaborate together all the time mm-hmm. and um, you know it's just it's really interesting so you know I went and I saw his first movie. Second movie, Creed, you know, my wife and I go watch it um, when it came out in Thanksgiving of 2015. I thought that movie should have been nominated for Best Picture. I thought it was so good. Um, and I remember leaving the theater, coming home and just like writing a blur. This is how 
2015, guys. <laughs> I remember writing a blurb on Facebook about it, about how I thought it was really good. I enjoyed the cinematography, I think. And just like me praising Ryan Coogler, thinking that, you know, I think he's going to be really one of these really fantastic directors. Like he's two for two, you know. And a mutual friend of ours, you know, commented on the status update that I did and mm-hmm. tagged, you know, uh, tagged members of his family. What? <laughs> That's wild. And, you know, talking about, you know, hey, it's like, you know, uh, this is really cool. I'm glad, you know, hey, this is, you know, read like basically telling them, oh, check this out. You know, this is what my friend thinks or, or all that kind of stuff. And. I don't not that my opinion matters for anything, but it's just a really neat, you know, thing. So, again, we don't know this guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we know people who know him. So, I mean, we would love to. So, yeah, but we are also, I think, the bias of growing up where he grew up, the fact that he went to college where my sister went to college, the fact that, you know, again, we know people that he knows. It's just we have such a familiarity with this guy that I think it's going to be impossible for me not to have a bias, like, you know, with for everything that he does. But thankfully, besides the fact that I'm extremely biased, he I also think he's just one of the best directors that we have right now. And I don't know um, why that that just reminded me when Jeremy J. Valdez uh, commented on one of our posts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> after we uh, we reviewed La Vision, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yes. It, 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 I was it, like, is this what success feels like? <laughs> it's, yeah, again, we love local stuff, man. Like, I mean, anything that showcases where we live and where we come from in, you know, on film in the most wonderful ways, it's great. And Yeah, and we're I, sluts I, for the Bay Area. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, anyway, uh, this is his third movie now, Black Panther, the movie we're reviewing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience with this movie was it comes out, you know, in February of 2018, literal weeks after my daughter was born, but my wife and I were so, we wanted to see this movie so badly. Now, when, you know, again, when you have an infant that's that young, that's feeding li- all the time, it's way too young to do, you know, date to do, Hey, date night. And uh, someone else can take care of your kid. It's just not possible. No, like just your have kid, it in your purse. You'll be fine. Your, your kid has to like, you know, they have to nurse like every couple of hours. They, all they do is nurse and sleep, nurse and sleep. What we decided to do is we, you know, grab my then several week old daughter, uh, put her in her car seat <laughs> Got in the car and we went to a drive-in and uh, we watched Black Panther at the drive-in. So that is my experience with that movie. And I remember enjoying it. I remember being grateful that we had the opportunity to watch it at the drive-in because it was the big movie. It was a really big movie that was coming out at the time. They had the soundtrack, you know, like with all like, which I love that soundtrack. I think that that Black Panther. 10 out of 10 best movie fucking or best superhero movie soundtrack ever i think so i think it's as i think it's obviously it's better than i really like the suicide squad 2016 soundtrack even though no that one's terrible (laughs) oh the movie's bad but the soundtrack's pretty good i actually there there's there's like three good songs and one of them is the the kevin gates song from the 2016 one but No, high, this... but to me, the high watermark for superhero movie soundtracks is Batman Forever. So 
I'd probably put this somewhere very close to Batman Forever. <laughs> for me. Damn, dude. I mean, it is great how I think I forgot whose song it was. Um, if I think it might have been uh, crap. Let me let me look it up real quick. But there's someone that has a song on the on the Black Panther album that totally. Oh, it's Vinnie Staples song. <laughs> <laughs> it's ops. They were. It's told. There's totally a Batman reference in the song for that he made for the Black Panther mm-hmm. movie, which I thought was pretty freaking cool. But yeah, this is dude. They were cooking. Like Kendrick Lamar did not have to go that hard for this fucking uh, soundtrack. But yeah, like it feels like everyone knew they were working on something special here. Like to create the first like. The first black superhero movie with an all black cast or a mostly black cast, like it's like everyone understood what their assignment was here. Yeah, well, there had been attempts to do this. Wesley Snipes was going to do this at some point in the nineties. Um, <laughs> well, no, at some point they he had interest in doing it. You like this well, movie? No, went I was through... reading about it. The interest was like, from my understanding, the interest was like. Someone else pitched the idea, and he said pass because he loved the idea of him wearing leather pants and karate <laughs> kicking white people. Hey, it worked. It worked because eventually Wesley Snipes becomes Blade, which I think we should review at some point. I think it's a really great movie too. Um, but you know, it, it's then it becomes this thing at you know Marvel where it, once MCU got kicked off, you know this was eventually going to come, and and I think. For as unfortunately, I think Marvel's kind of I think it's gotten a little stale right now. And I'm sorry Ooh. if you don't like that. <laughs> no, I mean, like I've like I've seen some of the newer stuff that's come out, and it can definitely be a little stale. I think it's a little it's it's entertaining, but it's again, it's 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 the stuff that I like. It's it's junk food, right? It's really good while you're eating it, and uh it might hurt your stomach later, <laughs> but <laughs> But you'll enjoy it while while you're there in while you're in the restaurant. So open up little piggies, here comes your Marvel sandwich. <laughs> um and this is one of you know, I, I think the fact that they actually gave uh Ryan Coogler the autonomy to kind of be the creator of this movie and the filmmaker to bring a vision to life as opposed to just like you know, making him a director for hire with all these crazy parameters around him. I think this movie's all the better for it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your experience with Black Panther? Because it's, obviously, I know that you've seen this before. Uh, do you remember the Rialto? The one back when it was good, and they had uh, and they had like couches and love seats and stuff like that. Yes, local yeah, movie theater. Yeah, that was my experience. <laughs> so we had a local uh, a local movie theater. I don't know if it's a historic. I think it's like an independently run uh, movie theater mm-hmm. uh, called Rialto Cinemas, and those at least back. In the pre-COVID times back in the day, they used to have, like, these really just comfortable couches that you can just sink into and just enjoy movies. It felt like you were at home. It was really awesome. Mm -hmm. And I remember that's where a big group of us, I think, like, we mobbed easily. I think, like, eight of us? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we just wanted to go watch the movie and... I remember the movie theater being packed, and I was like, "Oh dang!" Like, 
And I, and I think we watched it like three weeks into its run. And so I was like, oh, you know, it'll probably have died down now. It's like, no, dude. I felt like every showing of Black Panther was always packed. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. Um, yeah, I just remember uh, going there with my friends, my partner at the time. And it was just cool. It was like a really cool experience. I remember one of my friends, uh, that's where I found out they had tryptophobia, uh, but also had a crush on Michael B. Jordan. So the two things didn't really (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, dude, like I just remember walking into this movie being like, okay, uh, don't, don't, you don't know what to expect. Don't set the bar super high, even though I'm hearing amazing things about it. And then I just walked out of it. I'm just like, Oh yeah, everyone knocked it out of the park. Like mm. I, yeah, and I'm actually even surprised it's taking us this long to even talk about the movie. To be honest, uh, same, yeah. Um, all right, so we can go ahead and get into the into the plot of this movie. Um, oh, yeah. It, it, so this is like a world. It's a, there's a lot of world building that takes place here. You know, um, the movie starts with kind of like a blank screen and. And some visual stuff while you hear, like, in the background, um, you know, I think it's, like, a young T'Challa talking to his father, right? That's what it sounds like. And young T'Challa, like, asking about the origins of Wakanda. And uh, T'Chaka explains that there was five tribes that came together that were living on top of this deposit of... um, of uh vibra I was about to say unobtainium <laughs> but, <laughs> living on top of vibranium and essentially they were able to harness it uh and use its power to create these like technological marvels essentially become self-sufficient and uh, and become one of the most advanced nations in the entire world mm-hmm. and I couldn't help myself but compare this and this is a solid what would you say two to three minutes of exposition yes i couldn't help but compare this to black adam which i don't know if you've seen yet no i have not angel i i would probably say that black adam rips this off i know that's (laughs) the thing they don't if they did rip this off that would be a better movie (laughs) They tried to do this and failed horribly. Okay. And because instead, so what they do cool here is like they stat they and they 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 get you comfortable with the idea of vibranium being this like you know magical technological thing that they use for everything, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why like all, all the CGI in the beginning is supposed to be vibranium. They try to do the same thing in Black Adam, and it, I swear to God, they go for like seven minutes, and it's just fucking. I'm sorry, I'm using Black Panther as a chance to shit on Black Adam, but we're never <laughs> gonna review that movie, and it needs to come out at some point. Okay, but it's one of those weird things where it's like, oh god, like it, it it's just so masturbatory, and it's just so like. It's just so poorly done, and it's like to think that in 2018, it's like here they are, short, sweet, to the point. They introduce the five tribes. They introduce the importance of the five tribes. They introduce why, um, well, you know, the why the Panther tribe is uh, always going to be the royalty. However, that could be contested by any other uh, of the four tribes of Wakanda. And how there's like the more the merchant tribe, the border tribe, 
um, the uh, river tribe, and then the mountain tribe, which is the Jabari. Um, and it's just like, right off the bat, it lends itself to so much rich culture that it makes you feel like, holy crap, Wakanda is a real place. It's mm-hmm. this real living, like, breathing place. And I thought that in those two to three minutes of doing that, like, they fantastic job. I'm already sold. Yeah. You're already instantly in the world. Now, to kind of place it into where it is in the Marvel Universe, we get introduced to T'Challa and Black Panther um, in Captain America Civil War from 2016. That was a movie that I remember it being such a massive deal because they it was where Spider-Man comes into the MCU, and they also basically have the story of... Um, they it, it's it's not even a Black Panther origin story. It's just the movie where he's introduced. And, no, uh, it's they introduce Black Panther. They introduce Spider Man. They bring back Winter Soldier. Yeah, and it's essentially the dissolution of the Avengers as we know it. And it's not on the same scale as the Marvel comics, like Civil War, where it's the entire superhero community. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just kind of a fight between the main, like, team at this point. But it's still pretty big, and the ramifications of the Civil War are felt through, easily through Endgame. Yeah. And it it also has the death of uh, T'Chaka as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where this movie picks up right after, right? This is after the death of T'Chaka. But it also, like, before we go to present day... We end up getting uh, a flashback after the monologue that takes us to 1992 in Oakland, California. Uh, this hey. is actually it's actually shot in Atlanta, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you put it in Oakland, California. You play in the trunk by Too Short, and I am instantly transported to where this movie wants me to be. <laughs> it's like and, no, uh, I get it, I get the point. And you know what? Funny enough, it, this is a detail that literally no one who listens to this podcast is going to care about. But I'll mention it because I just happen to know it because it mm. like was reported in our local news. But despite the fact that this wasn't actually filmed in Oakland, the level of detail that Ryan Coogler went in this is that they actually used AC transit buses uh, in the Oakland scenes in this movie. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's not they like specifically, yeah, they specifically had uh, AC transit buses in this movie because of where it's supposed to take place. That's pretty funny. Um and uh, this is where um this is where we're introduced to Njobu, um and it's like you know we are essentially seeing what is a um kind of like a clash of of ideologies right mm-hmm. you know the Wakandan way in this is uh is that you know everything is kept in the you know in the con- in the in in the country of Wakanda right. Mm-hmm. Um, the vibranium, you know, nobody really knows what it does outside of Wakanda. Um, it's it's essentially like a futuristic utopia that is, you know, where the people that live there have have basically, um, they have like dressed it up as a third world african country mm-hmm. so that there is little to no interest in what's actually going on there and you know obviously it's like it, the idea is is to keep people from wanting to colonize and from take the and taking the resources 
uh, from that country. I think Ryan Coogler himself even mentioned or his intent with this was to make, uh, you know, the how Wakanda, you know, uh, lives off vibranium, you know, was was something akin to, you know, the blood diamonds in uh, Sierra Leone as well. Oh, I get that vibe. Yeah. I, I totally get that vibe. And other and other resources like he he went through the detail of getting you know actual African historians uh, to help build this world uh, in the most authentic way possible. Oh, dude! That one of the from what I was reading, one of the people like one of the people working on this film has like a five hundred and twenty five page like Bible of Wakanda of like how they built of this like civilization from the ground up. And, like, all the things that it's based on. <laughs> like, they did their homework to get this, like, to get this movie going. It is insane. Yeah. So, it is uh, crazy and that they treat it with just as much care going into the, going into the, into the sequel. Right. Um. So, Njobu's essentially getting, you know, uh, T'Chaka shows up to, to uh, I don't know, apprehend him or, you know, Exile him or arrest him because he's been like giving, you know, uh, he's been giving, I guess, uh, you know, their their vibranium technology or vibranium, uh, you know, created arms to uh, Ulysses Claw, mm-hmm. who we'll meet later, uh, played by Andy Serkis. Um, and, you know, it's there's yeah it, it's the idea is that like you'll find out later with Njobu is like he's been living in the western world and mm-hmm. seeing how you know the you know how black people have suffered uh in in western society i mean pro- just all globally right all over the world mm-hmm. like slavery has touched you know every single continent and every single country on earth and <laughs> in in one way or another um and you know the idea that he has and one that his son will later share is that you know giving giving people you know access to those vibranium weapons outside can help lead a grand uprising it's um it's really interesting that because i know njobu was sent on essentially sent as a spy um, he's sent as a spy. We find out that there are uh, spies all over the world that Wakanda has sent out to just kind of live among general populace to just to just to keep tabs. Literally, their job is just to keep tabs and uh, report back as to what's going on and like their day, de- like their average day to day lives. Um, I find it interesting that that position are called war dogs. Uh, because I know they refer to Njobu as a war dog later in the movie, and then later uh, Nakia gets him ref- um, referred to as a war dog too. So I, I thought that was kind of like an interesting bit uh, because as of right now, Wakanda isn't really seen as a very militaristic, like yeah, futuristic. Yes, they have weapons. Yes, but they don't seem very like they want to throw that weight around. Um. And it's really interesting because Njobu is like, after going out of the world and experiencing what the black experiences in other parts of the world, and he's just like, no, we absolutely have to start throwing our weight around. Um, 
which unfortunately leads to uh, a confrontation between uh, Joe Boone and T'Chaka that can't come back from. And uh, T'Chaka ends up killing uh, Njobu in his apartment, um, leaving him there and abandoning uh, abandoning his family. Uh, which we, like you've mentioned later, we find out he has a son who has now been shaped by this, um, by this, you know, uh, tragic event that's going to drive him to kind of to become the main antagonist in the rest of the movie. And that takes us to present day, where it's the following uh, T'Chaka's death. Um, T'Challa has come back uh, to Wakanda to assume the throne. So he's already the Black Panther, but he hasn't become the leader of the... um, hasn't become the new leader of uh, Wakanda yet. So we get a cool action scene to introduce kind of our cast of characters. So uh, his uh, right-hand person is Okoye, the leader of the Dora Milaje, who's played by... um, feel terrible that I don't remember her name. I know. Hey, um, goodness. Uh, just give oh. me one second. Um, goodness. I be, oh, Denai Gurira. Uh, yeah. I'm going to push who, who, you know, I absolutely, you know, we got to know, like, maybe the decade before, or, like, the early 2010s when she was uh, on Walking Dead. Um, I absolutely fell in love with her from the moment I saw her in that show. So, oh, when very she came in as Michonne and just movie. started cutting people up, fuck mm-hmm. yeah! And funny enough, plays a very similar badass character in this movie. <laughs> yep. And this, uh, this is also the second time. So, there's a few people that we have seen in other movies as well. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is in this, uh, who we've seen in Get Out, uh, which we reviewed on this show. And the wonderful Winston Duke and uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who we have reviewed uh, in the early days of the podcast when we reviewed Up by Jordan Peele. And of course, we have the amazing I mean, uh, Angela Bassett. Sorry, have... Up is a Pixar movie. Us is the movie from Jordan Peele. <laughs> just confused Up and Us. <laughs> You know what's funny is I was gonna let you go. Like if you hadn't pointed that out. No, I was not about to allow myself to embarrass myself. Now I want the animated version of us. <laughs> That's dark. Oh. Oh, and of course we got um what else we got? We got Mark Freeman as Everett Ross. Letitia yes. Wright playing uh uh playing uh T'Challa's little sister Shuri. And of course, Miss uh, Angela Bassett playing yes. uh, Queen Ramonda. Who I can't wait to talk about next week as well, because I think in this movie, as much as Angela Bassett does a fantastic job, and she's just one of those, like, you know, like one of those actresses who's been doing fantastic work in film for decades. And I I can't wait because next week I I really do think in next week's movie she will get uh, center stage in a way that she does not in this movie. Which you know yeah. I understand it's just it's the focus of this movie is what it is, but I think the unforeseen circumstances that make Wakanda forever what it is will allow us to talk even more about her next week. 
Dude, all the women of the Black Panther series get so much shine in Wakanda Forever. Like it also important it also points out how important women are to his story, too. I I appreciate the way Ryan Coogler depicts his female characters in his movies. Mm-hmm. I think you know, and the actors and the actors, you know, who who portray them. Because mm-hmm. it's a great cast of 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 you know of, of actresses who play you know the roles of Shuri and uh, and uh, Koye and and, and the other and right Wanda, like yeah yeah like it, it's they the great actresses that play them but the, but the characters also just have this like kind of like you know it, it this this world that he's built the women are empowered in a way that you know they just wouldn't be in Western countries. And um, it or feels... even if this was a different movie with a different director, you know, like yeah. John Favreau did a really good job of not focusing like the male gaze on uh on like Scarlett Johansson, and I think for the most part, but then you go to uh Joss Whedon who totally did. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so... I, I think what I like about the fact that women are so front and center in this is it feels like something pre-Western society. Like I mean. Everything that we know that we read growing up in the U.S., in North America, like in books and in schools and studies and stuff like that, is just westernized versions of society. Mm-hmm. And what I like about this, and then I think what we'll even be able to talk about next week is, is there's something, you know, with this and then and some of the indigenous roots of characters that we'll meet next week um, is just it, 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 it brings us to a world that we don't often get to see on film. Mm hmm. So, you know, uh, with the help of Okoye, um, T'Challa is able to kind of, is able to attack what appears to be kind of a human trafficking ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's able to bust up these uh, insurgent soldiers and manages to save the women with Nakia's help, who's able to save a kid from getting his like face ripped off by the Black Panther <laughs> when she tell when she like kicks the Black Panther and tells him he's just a child. And, like, you know, removes his mask and shows, oh, no, that is a child-ass child. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Nakia is, like, furious at T'Challa at first that she that he's uh, ruined her operation. Uh, but he informs her that his dad has passed away and that he would like her there at his uh, new coronation. Uh, and her duty bound agrees, and she ends up um, after they send the the rest of the women they rescued on their way. Um, yeah, they they fly off to uh, Wakanda. Uh, the fights, the the fight early on, and personally, I really I'm a huge fan of the first suit that uh, that T'Challa wears here, mm-hmm. the the Civil War suit. Where it's all where it literally just looks like big heavy, um, Kevlar, (laughs) (laughs) like just this big metal suit. But because he has uh the power of the heart shaped herb, he can like fly around like a like a fucking demon out of hell, and is just like throwing people and back flipping around and fighting like crazy. Um, but I'm very biased because I like costumes that make the superheroes look bigger than they were than they really are um I'll, yeah what's what's your favorite black panther suit so far 
Um, I do like the suit that uh, Shuri puts together with the nanite technology, where like everything wipe, you know, lights up and all the cells kind of like of the suit like are there to absorb hits or whatever. <laughs> it's just the uh, I, I I love the idea of like that crazy like nanotech stuff. It's you know we're used to we're used to MCU doing it with the Iron Man suits, and this is also just something that feels a lot more advanced. Um. I can't wait later until we see the villain suit because I I think the villain suit is freaking fantastic as well. Oh, absolutely. So when they get back to uh, Wakanda, we get to see, you know, we get to see some beautiful, like, panning shots of what the city's supposed to look like. A lot of great CGI work. Um, And they end up going to the ceremony where... And you know we get this is where we get introduced to Shuri, who we find out is like the head of the science, like science and research and uh, development of a lot of Wakandan technology. Um, she's very young, making her very much a prodigy, even by Wakandan standards. And uh, she's not one for she's not one for tradition, is she? No. <laughs> It sounds like every chance she gets, she tries to shirk uh, tradition. Even at the ceremony, like I love the part where they're like, "And who, who from the royal family challenges uh, King T'Challa?" And Shuri like raises her hand and she goes, "This corset <laughs> is really tight, and I want to take it off. So how about we hurry this up?" And then, um, but you, yeah, you can tell T'Challa has like the backing of all the main tribes, except you hear this rhythmic chanting from what you can only assume is going to be a thick, sexy man. (laughs) (laughs) And in comes Winston Duke. Oh, I love Winston Duke in this. Uh, Baku is it's it's great because it's a character that is like obviously introduced to be like a foil or rival to you know T'Challa and I I think after this scene where they he does challenge him um you know because the idea is that he if he challenges him and if he you know makes the Black Panther yield then he or, or then he becomes the king right yeah, essentially <laughs> anyone can challenge the current king as long as they're of a royal bloodline of their tribe, which right. Mbaku is. He's like the leader of the Jabari people. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, he, you know, he's uh, he leaves such an impression. And it's funny because the two movies that we have seen with uh, Winston Duke in them are so just so different right like mm-hmm. we watch us in the early days of the podcast and he's like the nerdy dad <laughs> <laughs> the corny nerdy dad who's, but who's also like you know big but he's just like a big teddy bear in that and in this it's like he is a physically imposing you know challenger to our hero who you know d- d- you probably could believe would beat him you abs and he almost does too, <laughs> and that's the crazy part is that Mbaku is like you. You they try to play him up as a himbo character, um, where he's just there to look fucking huge and imposing, and but but all but you know you naturally assume he's kind of dumb, but until he's surprising everyone by dropping knowledge all over, the place. Mm. and I love that trope. Um, but yeah, he ends up 
uh, you know, he ends up challenging T'Challa. T'Challa has his uh his abilities from the heart shaped flower uh removed, um, putting him back at kind of like human levels. And him and Jabari have the or Jabari, him and Mbaku have this huge like you know this intense physical fight where they're just beating each other. <laughs> And um, while Mbaku relies a lot on his strength, uh, on his raw strength, um, yeah, T'Challa is able to kind of get the upper hand because of squirreliness, and he gets around him and puts him like a chokehold, where I don't know if he's going to, like, drown him or if he's going to, like, <laughs> snap his neck. Yeah, it's very possible that he kills him. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it obviously ends, you know, yeah, because T'Challa refuses to kill M'Baku, and he ends up persuading him to yield, knowing that the Jabari need a strong leader. Um, and T'Challa, like, doesn't hate M'Baku. He definitely... there, But like you said, there's definitely a rivalry. There's a foil here. Yeah. What it does, too, for T'Challa's character is it presents him as a character who, you know, will... To him, what's most important is being a good king you know, mm-hmm. for his kingdom. So the fact that he really does like, you know, care that much about the Jabari people that he does want to have them maintain their leader who he has a great deal of respect for. Like it mm-hmm. shows that he's the kind of person that will, that will put the needs of the many in, you know, ahead of his, and ahead of his own in some ways. So want to know something crazy, Angel? Yes, sure. Just because I timed it, I was timing it out because I was, you know, working my schedule around. To this point, this is the first half hour of the movie. Yes. And that's, I wanted to talk about the pacing real quick. They did a good job. Holy crap. Yes, they do. Because I honestly feel like after the world building stuff, like I do feel like the second half of the movie goes by so much quicker in terms of like just describing the storyline. Mm-hmm. And yeah, something that takes this long to 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 introduce could get very boring and tedious if the world that you live in, if the world that it's presenting to you isn't as interesting and entertaining as this is. Like, I mean, the entertainment comes from like again getting to know the characters. They all have their personalities. Baku isn't like he he is a very like he's a funny character. He's imposing. He's got like yeah. There's something about him to where like you you know like it makes sense to you why he is the leader of his people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I it's crazy like just the amount of things that we've gotten through in. And as you mentioned, like 30 minutes of runtime. <laughs> and it's like how much we learn about this culture that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we feel like this, how much this country is a fleshed out place and like how well grounded it is and how important it is to also uh, the universe as a whole. Um, but from here, uh, the movie uh, shifts to another group of characters Yes. Uh, we get introduced, uh, well, reintroduced uh, to Claw, um, who's working with a young man by the name of Eric Stevens. All right. I think that this movie, probably along with Dark Knight, I, I think I think this and Dark Knight are probably the two best introductions for a villain in a comic book movie for me. Mm-hmm. 
like straight up like, i think one of the problems that marvel movies always have is just like you know trying to get you invested in the villains they they do such a great job at like making hero stories and making heroes you know making you know they're they, uh, you understand why they do what they do that a lot of times you know what the villains do the goals they're trying to accomplish uh what they're after it just seems so secondary uh in the film the introduction of eric's you know stevens uh in this london museum you know it's 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 jarring because you know it's michael b jordan and uh, you know in in most of his adult roles he's short-haired you know so it's it's so interesting to see him like you know with the glasses with the hair like and 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 it's just like him it's him diving into a character like just like like you know it's it's doing it's him doing like the thing that all great actors do it's unrecognizable almost and it just physically um from his from just the getup that he's wearing uh, but also just the fact that he's there talking to you know a museum curator who's i guess giving going to give him a tour of of some of the you know artifacts that are there and uh where he explains to her you know that um that that this is a a you know that what they're looking at is a weapon that comes from Wakanda and it's made out of vibranium, and <clears throat> I think it it brings to light something that I've seen you know like John Oliver do like a story on, but just like the the actual real life thing where so many you know um uh so many indigenous you know, African, the different African nations, countries and, and civilizations and just civilizations from around the world, how all of their artifacts get bought up or taken and end up in these like, you know, famous London museums, famous English museums and how that is something that that just it, it, it happens to this day. Mm. And um the ability for this character to bring to light something that actually exists and is a real thing in the real world. I loved when I was in the, again, I'm watching this in a drive in a drive-in, mm-hmm. but the moment that, that, uh, that, you know, that, that, that the curator talks to Eric and says, you know, mentions it when he says, don't, you know, don't worry, I'm going to take this off your hands her response to him is these things aren't for sale. Mm-hmm. And when he turns around and looks at her and he goes, and he goes, how do you think your ancestors got these? Do you mm-hmm. think, yeah, do you think they paid a, they paid a fair price or did they take it? Like they took everything else. I heard ooze <laughs> at a drive-in theater. And it's just like, you have an audience there. Like you have captured an entire audience in just dialogue Mm-hmm. And it's like, and and I honestly think it, it's probably one of the best singular, like, you know, villain introductions since Heath Ledger is a Joker. And I'm sure, people will talk about how Thanos is probably the biggest Marvel villain. No. You know what he does, and what he's done, you know, is a thing that that all the Marvel MCU movies are still dealing with. You know, which is the scale and the scope and everything. But this is to me, this is the best villain in in Marvel. I just. I don't know that there's I don't know that there's a more interesting villain um in in a Marvel movie than this. And it's like you said it's what he's wearing at the time. He's dressed like a hype beast, you know. <laughs> he's dressed like a dude from Oakland. Like he's 
he's very by all intents and purposes he's like he's just him <laughs> it's just him mm-hmm. like um unapologetically him and that, that kind of adds to like the mystique about this guy where it's like like dang he's you know he's not he's not fronting about who he is or what he's talking about it's just you know it's just what he truly believes and who he is and it's it it's the classic problem where it's like what happens when you're uh when your villain starts making too much sense or Luckily, I found I wanted I wanted to take some time. I'll probably wait a little bit longer uh, to bring it up, but I found this really cool uh, TikTok that I wanted to bring up talking about uh, Eric's motivations. But I think that fits more uh, later in the movie. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's this part where the curator starts coughing and he says, "Look, you you're so worried about what I'm doing, you're not even paying attention to what you're putting in your body," which is and- good because it's like. It's it, it, it. His character is someone that might draw attention, like in this white world, this, this, oh. this white London museum world. If someone like him might stand out, you know, or it, like you know, it might be like again. It's just like it. Something about him draws your attention to him, mm-hmm. and for some reason, she's going up. We're assuming. That that she is there to give him a tour of something. We don't mm-hmm. know if she if if that's not even the case, and that she's not just coming up to him because she's wondering what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, again, the fact that he calls attention to the fact that she that uh, that you know that there's so much security here that she's paying attention to him and maybe paying more attention to him than even what she put into her own body. Mm. And the fact that the barista that has served her the coffee is black and she's paid no attention to that and, you know, hasn't thought about that until it's just, it's a great scene. You realize that Mm -hmm. she's been poisoned. She ends up, you know, falling over. um, And then that's where we get uh, Andy Serkis who shows up as Claw. Um, I love him as Claw. It's so good. (laughs) I love the part where, like, yeah, they come in, they pop all the security guards, they leave one, and he goes, hey, it's your lucky day. Go ahead. Go. Just pretend, don't, don't, you know, you didn't, you didn't see anything. They're like, okay, cool. And as the guy's running away, he just pops into the back of that. <laughs> oh, no. But everything yeah, he just has a reason. him in the back of the head. And then, um, and I love the part where, uh, you know, Eric calls him out. And he's like, "Why? Why'd you let him do that?" And he was like, "Oh well, you know, just it makes it look more sloppy. Like we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Kind of like sloppy, like dropping your mic mid recording session." <laughs> oh, is that what's happening right now? <laughs> no, <laughs> would, I would never run an amateur fucking podcast like this. Only an idiot would do that. Yeah, you know, only a stupid fucking moron who's probably really handsome <laughs> would do that. Uh, but yeah, that's what it's. <laughs> uh, so after um, after they they scare or you know after they're they're able to take the artifact away and they kind of escape, um, we cut back. There's a lot of jumping around between uh Wakanda and kind of what's going on with Killmonger. Yes. Um, but I just wanted to bring attention to how much this was in 2018, right? And how in 2018 this joke really hits my funny spot, and how in 2023, I I just I cringed 
I, I cringetopia'd all of <laughs> Oh, you're talking about the what are those joke? Yeah. yeah. What are those? The funny thing is that even by 2018, what are those was old. Like it was cringy then. No, it wasn't. It was still funny. Everything no, was it was actually hilarious. already cringy then. I think it might have already been a couple years that it was that it was not a thing anymore. Shut and up. that the main reason, and really the main reason why Ryan Coogler included it is because the guy who started that viral what are those is actually a Bay Area person. And uh, <laughs> that's mainly the reason why that's in that movie. Oh my god, I just remember being like, what are those? And I'm just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, but yeah, the what are those jokes? And that you know, but that's where we get the uh the new suit you were talking about, um, the nano Black Panther suit. Um, we also get a interesting conversation between uh David uh Kaluuya's character. Uh, who Wabak Wakabi? Um, who's also Koye's husband, mm-hmm. and he has a conversation uh with the child about uh bringing in um Claw and how uh T'Challa wants to go on a mission with uh Nakia and Okoye to bring him uh bring him in bring him to justice because that he felt that that was his father's greatest failure. Mm-hmm. Um. And this is where we learned that Wakabi's parents were killed in the explosion that Claw, uh, Claude caused at the border of um, at the border of Wakanda when mm-hmm. he originally stole a bunch of their vibranium. Uh, so they find out that Claw is setting up a sale, uh, sale to the Amer- to some Americans out in Busan. So we get to you know our our strike team then gets to travel to kind of the seedy underbelly of like a gambling den out in uh south korea a lot of jet setting this is very bond to me like this is very uh i love the busan um segment of this movie Mm -hmm. and yes it is it's very daniel craig bond it's like it's modern Bond. <laughs> and obviously now we're at a point where Bond is pretty much, again, on hiatus because uh, Daniel Craig is now finished with it and we will never return to our James Bond series. Oh, no. How <laughs> terrible. But yeah, I agree with you. It, it really does remind me of something out of like Skyfall. Um, it's just it, there the fact that it, it becomes almost a travelogue. Um, you know, you get to see the like the sprawling futuristic splendor of something like Wakanda and then you're also now seeing just like the the real you know spectacle and grandiosity of of a city like Busan mm-hmm. yeah so our trio gets to Busan uh immediately go in um make contact with the uh or you know they start kind of scoping the space out before they make contact with anyone uh they note that there's about six Americans uh, whomst uh, T'Challa recognizes one of them as being uh, Everett Ross, a CIA agent, um, who, if you remember correctly, I believe he was in, uh, he might have been in um, Civil War. He might have been like a someone that was there to try to protect the Wakandans. Um, but regardless, he's here. I mean, I could be misremembering that, though. Um, but yeah, he 
you know, we, we know that Everett Ross knows who the Black Panther is. Mm-hmm. So he's very much aware that uh, Wakanda isn't what they seem to be. Uh, he doesn't know how or can prove it, but he also knows that T'Challa is uh, the Black Panther. Um, and they both understand that they're both here for the uh, vibranium, uh, to which T'Challa tells Ross that, uh, you know, he's taking Claw with him and he's going to go uh, under his custody. Um, in comes Claw with the vibranium artifact. <laughs> he comes in with like eight guys. There's the joke where he just has the artifact wrapped in like paper that just says artifact on it. <laughs> and he gives it to Ross, uh, to which Ross is just like, Oh, uh, you don't have it in like a a, a, a suitcase or anything. And then uh Claw's just like, no, like, why would I buy a, a big fancy suitcase if I'm just going to give it to you anyway? <laughs> uh, what ends up happening is uh, this leads to a shootout and kind of a fight within the gambling hall. Um, you know, we see uh, T'Challa try to fight off a bunch of the gunmen. Uh, we have Okoye uh, using the Dora Milaje spear. Uh, see her kicking ass. Uh, and essentially, they're trying to stop Claw before he can escape. Uh, he manages to get out. Um, our heroes uh, go on a chase where we f- see that T'Challa has like this weird override, like I guess, chip that he can just throw on a car and suddenly Shuri can control it all the way to Wakanda. <laughs> so yeah, he has like this remote control chip, which is really cool. Um, so him and Shuri go chasing after Claw. Uh, meanwhile, Okoye and Nakia uh, get in another car and chase after some bad guys. And some really awesome car stunts as well. Some uh, fights, uh, some high speed chases going through to uh, going through Busan. Uh, we get to see Claw's cool vibranium arm where it just like opens up and fires a cannon, um, kind of like the Iron Man repulsor blasts. Uh, after they get into, or, you know, um, T'Challa is able to use that cool ability on his suit where he can, like, release the kinetic energy from getting hit. So after getting blasted, he uses it to kind of destroy the car, sends it flying, and he ends up kicking the crap out of, out of Claw and almost murders him. Um, you know, Claw, you know, Claw's sad. You know, no pun intended, but claws to his like throat, and uh, he ends up getting convinced by uh, Ross, Naki, and Okoye not to kill him in public, at the very least to uh, make sure he stands trial. And you know, Black Panther looks up and he sees that there's a lot of people recording him, watching him, just kind of waiting for what he does. He ends up knocking out Claw. And then they're able to take him to like this CIA uh, black site where they kind of hold him and interrogate him for for a while. Uh, top to bottom, fantastic, uh, fantastic action scene. I love the music they play. They have that Vinnie Stable song, uh, Ops on the Radio. Like, it's just 
yeah, it's just really cool. Like a lot of the CGI, you get to see a lot of Black Panther flying around, kicking, you know, fighting people from car to car. Um, yeah, I just loved it. And then from there, that takes us to, um, and yeah, like what I like about this part is it's very spy versus spy, because now you have. Now you have the Wakandans involved. You have the CIA involved. You have Claw. You have Claw, who's moving uh, vibranium, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there is so much political intrigue going on, which I don't think any other Marvel movie has been able to successfully do. Yeah, again, it's a dense. Like this movie is really dense, but it doesn't feel as dense as it is. Like. Like it really doesn't. It's not something where you feel like you need like a glossary sheet to understand <laughs> to oh, understand yeah. why things are happening. It's you understand the world that this movie lives in so well because it's just I don't know. There's something about it that streamlines the information to you. Mm-hmm. Like they handle these very complex relationships and interconnections uh, between governments and agencies, but they they it's like. Coogler does a good job of just focusing on the bare minimum of what you need to know for the story. And it helps. It helps keep everything in line. It's not like a fucking over-the-top Tom Clancy story or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, while they hold Claw up and they try to get information out of him, um... Claw continues, he tells Ross, or Claw tells Ross that Wakanda's image is all a front in that they are actually this technological utopia, and that uh, that's where the Black Panther originates from, um, and that they're one of the most advanced civilization, civilizations on Earth. So this is kind of what Ross has already been hinting at and already believes about the Wakandans. But before anything can happen, uh, Eric, um, yeah, Eric shows up. He manages to blow out the back wall of um, Claw's cell. They're able to save him, uh, put him in, uh, put you know, take him in the van. He comes in wearing this um, kind of like traditional tribal uh, mask, which which actually I guess is uh, supposed to be representative of Mephisto. Oh, okay. Um, because apparently that was Black Panther's first villain, or I forgot what it was. There, there's a connection between Black Panther and Mephisto, and I'm sure there's other comic book nerds that can explain it better than I. Okay. <laughs> but I want to say that was like the first major villain he fought, which apparently was like the demon Satan. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anyway, um, during their escape, uh, or they managed to escape, leaving uh. Uh, leaving Everett shot in the back. Uh, instead of pursuing Claw, the Wakandans decide to take him, uh, take Everett Ross to Wakanda where they can save him. Um, where, and in there, that's kind of where uh, Shuri takes him into surgery, uses one of their healing beads to save him. And that's where we get the line, um, oh, you bring me another broken white boy for us to fix. And then, and then when, <laughs> uh, and then when Everett Ross eventually wakes up, um, and he ends up scaring Sherry. That's where we get the awesome <laughs> line. Don't scare me, colonizer. Yeah, 
I the, yeah, the fact that they refer to to <laughs> to the non Wakandan characters as colonizer, specifically the white characters, I think it's funny. It, it, it again, it brought in like a a word into the into like the modern lexicon, like. <laughs> At, like how often do we hear that word um just in so many different facets of life <laughs> oh yeah i call people colonizers all the time even when yeah. it's wrong it's just i know it gets a rise out of people <laughs> uh so while this is happening um or what you know while they kind of debrief back with uh the council a lot uh we we see that wakabi's actually lost kind of faith in t'challa of not being able to bring in claw um which kind of sows some seeds for later in the movie uh and meanwhile uh killmonger uh killmonger is uh taking claw supposedly back to south africa but he alludes about taking a pit stop somewhere in wakanda and which leads to a shootout between uh him and claw claw takes uh killmonger's girlfriend as a hostage and he's like leave you know he's like put your gun down or i'll kill her i'll fucking kill her and he's like i believe you know it says something like no i know you will and he ends up shooting her <laughs> he ends up killing her um claw ends up uh running away uh killmonger chases him down in the airfield and ends up killing him um revealing that he's revealing to uh claw that he was also wakandan the entire time uh showing him the war dog uh tattoo unlike lip tattoo that his father had earlier in the film and he loads up um Saw's corpse puts in the airplane and they and off he flies to Wakanda. Um, crazy scene, crazy turnabout. Um, this is where you and then this is where Ross kind of reads off the entire dossier he has on, um, on uh, Hillmonger talking about how he is like Black Ops ex Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. That they would send him to fight literally anywhere and everywhere on earth. Yeah, he's like uh, a mercenary as well. Yeah, he ended up becoming a mercenary after he was done uh fighting for the Americans, adopted the way the name Killmonger, and we find out that the weird tryptophobia <laughs> scars he has <laughs> on himself are actually scars he gives himself for every kill he gets. Mm-hmm. Um I I hate things like that. That's kind of hokey. It feels like a very '90s action movie thing, but yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's honestly. I feel like Eric Killmonger feels like a like what an X Men character would sound like. So mm-hmm. ideally, you'd wish you'd wish they could just like I don't know. It, it, you, they could have a better explanation for why he looks the way he does in terms of like those body scars. But it's neat. It's an interesting look for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it draws attention to him and specifically you know later in the film when he will challenge uh t'challa you know for the throne um it, it's it's a very it's just it it's so interesting like just the way you know the way those scars like look on him it makes him almost otherworldly so he gets to the border of wakanda lands his plane meets wakabi 
and demands audience before the elders. Um, obviously, these guys don't know who he is. Start drawing weapons. Wakabi is interested. And as he's dragging uh, what just appears to be just a body or something, he reveals it to be Claw, which immediately gets Wakabi's attention. So it's like at this point, this guy's already switched. He switched sides. He's flipped. He's just like, this is the guy that finally brought in Claw. That's who, that's who I'm fighting for the rest of the movie. I don't give a shit. So it was crazy to see that um, kind of watching the, how that progressed because that that was a relationship I never really paid attention to the first time I watched this movie. So it's like being able to see that kind of how it played out was really cool. Um, and yeah, Wakabi and the rest of the Border Tribe take... Uh, Killmonger to uh, the royal family kind of commons, or the 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 meeting area, I mean. And right away, T'Challa, you know, is at is on guard, doesn't want him there, doesn't understand why he's there. Um, in the entire time, Killmonger continues to say, "Ask me who I am." And, uh, you know, like T'Challa will be like, oh, I already know who you are. You're a murderer. You don't belong here. You're not one of our people. Um, or, you know, they'll they'll say something disparaging, something insulting about him until the, one of the guards grabs Eric and they're about to pull him away. And they're like, and one of the elders finally ask him, who are you? Like, <laughs> since you keep asking and he pops off. Fucking Michael B. Jordan starts chewing the shit off of the scenery, dude. <laughs> like, he just starts talking about how he's the son of murdered Nyobu, um, next in line uh, to the Wakandan throne. And that, um, and then he starts talking about how T'Chaka uh, was a murderer of his own brother and how he brings shame to the uh, Wakandan. Uh, or to the, to the, yeah, to the mantle of King of Wakanda and that he aims to bring honor back. Uh, Ramonda gets pissed and she's like, you have no claim to this throne. And that's when Wakabi uh, says, I apologize, Queen Mother, but he does. Showing that he did have in Yobu's uh, ring. Mm-hmm. And that's where we us... get the famous uh, yep. hey, auntie line. <laughs> so good. He delivers it with so much like confidence, but also like vitriol. It's just so it's, good. It's the uh, another, it's another line in the movie that got a reaction from everybody in cars. Like I had mm. to just remind you guys, like this movie, this character got and that's what I mean, like, where I talked about how I think he's, like, a Dark Knight-level villain. Like, I, the last time I had seen a villain, like, get that kind of attention and just reaction out of people in normal scenes in a movie was Heath Ledger. hmm And this is where he starts talking about how Wakandans haven't done enough for the rest of, rest of the Black people in the world. And now he talks about how much their brothers and sisters are suffering um i do appreciate that the you know that the character of killmonger in this 
Um, it's again the movie, the character, the hero is Black Panther, mm-hmm. and very much you know the of course like the the you know his character is 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 like the militant you know it, it it's like it, he he he's the black panther in the way you know like you had the black panther party in the 60s mm-hmm. as well like like he's very clearly influenced by those also you know for those who don't know it is it it's the black panthers originated in oakland mm-hmm. um and it's also one of those things where people are are often mistaught history um what mm-hmm. the black panthers were and very much they're painted as these like you know militant group that you know that was planning some sort of uprising that needed to be completely removed like it, it i feel like they're almost villainized by history in a lot of ways and one oh, no, of the 100% things... they are because um, i mean i don't want to get all <laughs> i don't want to get all political on my movie <laughs> podcast about you know a character literally named the black panther but no, you're right. Like history, and because again, that's what these agencies do. That's what the CIA, the FBI, whenever there was any sort of, because what it was it was it was an uprising. It is a cultural revolution at that time. It's a change in thought, and it's a lot of it that they were preaching was a lot of like, how do black and brown communities become more self sufficient? How is mm-hmm. it that we become more power? You know, how do is it that we take our power back? Yeah. I'm very grateful that I had teachers that taught me the true history of the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, they they organize breakfasts like in 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 you know in black neighborhoods in Oakland, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Richmond, uh, all the surrounding cities. You know, a lot of the kids, there's a lot of food insecurity. So mm-hmm. one of the things that the Black Panthers did is they organized like these breakfasts because they, you know, they knew that if the kids, you know, were being fed before they went to school, that it was obviously going to improve the quality of their education mm-hmm. and it would help, you know, leave the movement in that you'd have all these like, you know, educated kids that were, you know, that were go- going to get more of a fair chance due to the intervention of the Black Panthers. It's really cool. Uh, my job there is an original, like, uh, an original flyer for the Fred Hampton um, school breakfast uh, program, oh, school wow. breakfast and lunch program. I was like, I don't know how you found that, but that's really fucking cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I actually had a buddy of mine who whose father um, actually knew Huey Newton and Bobby Seal from the Black Panthers as well. That's wild. Um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it, it, it's it, also the scene, you know, when you have, you know, both T'Challa and, you know, Killmonger sitting in the throne, the Wakandan throne. Like mm-hmm. it, it is very reminiscent of a famous picture of uh, Huey P. Newton from like, you know, fr- from when he was leading the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is just say Huey Newton chair, and, and you'll once you see that picture, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So these two, oh, well, eventually, um, Killmonger invokes his because he's of a royal bloodline, and because he is also the Panther tribe, uh, he invokes his right to um, challenge for the throne of uh, of the King of Wakanda. T'Challa right away accepts. And without any 
um, without any what's it called the uh, ceremony or anything. They just kind of fly out to the site and they let them go to work. You know, like um, what's his name? Uh, Killmonger ends up breaking one of the ceremonial spears to something like to turn into like kind of more of a machete. Um, and yeah, they just start fighting, and it's like this even more intense and brutal in the Ibaku fight because they just start like laying into each other. Uh, Killmonger starts stabbing and cutting at uh, T'Challa. Uh, he eventually gets the upper hand and just starts beating him in front of his family. Um, and you know, there's that, and then uh, you know, you get that awesome line where. T'Challa's just half drowning in the water, and then Killmonger just shouts at his uh, family, is this your king? And it's uh, as he's about to go in with the uh, with the killing blow, um, I forgot Forrest Whitaker was in this movie. <laughs> but he ends up playing uh, kind of a, conf- a confidant of uh, T'Challa mm-hmm. uh, named Zuri, who we find out uh, earlier in the movie actually was the guy that was undercover that was originally working with Nyobu out in Oakland back in 1992 um, and Killmonger you know he he offers to trade his life uh, for T'Challa and like to let him can you know be the king uh, and he says I'll take your life anyway and he ends up killing Zuri in uh during the ceremonial combat t'challa becomes furious um to which uh killmonger uses to his advantage and continues to beat him eventually throwing him off the waterfall <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh presumably to his death uh um, think yeah you think anyway and then from there he ends up becoming the new king of Wakanda and immediately what he does is he starts this uh, pro-militarization movement Um, Ramonda and Shuri know they're not safe Nakia takes them kind of like gets them out of uh, the capital not knowing if Killmonger is going to murder them or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this becomes full on political thriller for a little bit. He starts uh, mobilizing this anti, you know, or he starts mobilizing so that they can um, send their war dogs weapons to start uprisings in different um, black neighborhoods around the world. And so that no one can challenge uh, his authority. Um, he ends up burning all the other plants, uh, all the other uh, heart-shaped herbs, so that there can never be another Black Panther after him. Um, you know, he goes through his own personal ceremony while T'Challa went to visit his father in the astral plane. Um, whenever he would like take the herb, uh, he would visit like where his ancestors were on this tree and he would talk to like the previous black panthers uh we see that eric actually goes back to his oakland apartment back in 1992 and has a conversation with his dad 
uh, talking about how he's finally uh, going to achieve his dream of helping everyone that's been disenfranchised, helping everyone that's been uh, beaten down by these systems um, or anyone that's been oppressed. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's the it's the duality, right? It's the duality of this of this father and son that have always been king, and have always, their biggest struggle is how to do the right thing for their people. Or both of them, both of them have this argument about what's the what's the right thing to their pe- to do for their people. Mm-hmm. And while one believes it's about isolationism to keep them safe, the other one believes it's about violent uprising. And it's just fantastic. It draws a lot of parallels between these characters. Which also leads me <laughs> to the TikToker I wanted to mention. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, Fatal Pros? Mm, I don't know. So he's a black poet on TikTok. Fantastic. Go ahead and give him check, check him out. Give him a follow. He did this really interesting video about how he feels that at this point, Killmonger is still, although Killmonger is doing all this stuff supposedly to to um, uh, become the king of Wakanda, he feels that this is like a Black Ops mission that uh Killmonger is still on for the United States government and he believes Everett Ross if not Everett Ross someone else in the CIA is still his handler mm-hmm. and that he's actually doing what the CIA was doing in the 80s in Central America <laughs> and his idea and it makes sense because no, it does, uh, yeah because he's talking about pretty much what he talks about is that um one of the specialties that Eric had was destabilization of government and that usually whenever they would pick something it would be during a transition of power usually an election however you know the um fatal pros was talking about how he believes that the CIA <laughs> manufactured the death of um King T'Chaka in Civil War so that way uh Killmonger can go in and uh and uh you know challenge for the throne which would then give would be kind of a straight pipeline for the US to finally get uh vibranium uh from Wakanda in a legitimate way and i was like that is wild <laughs> so um i'm like i'll i'll find it i'll send it to you i think he does a much better job explaining it than i do um but yeah it was really interesting like i tried watching the movie under that um under that um lens and yeah dude you and i talked a lot about u.s imperialism and how much the u.s did some fucked up shit in central america in the 80s and it goes T for T, man. <laughs> like it's the same stuff that Killmonger does here, where he makes it impossible for anyone to replace him, and essentially becomes like a dictator or de facto dictator, like a U.S. sponsored de facto dictator. I was like, this is crazy. Which then I was just like, Ryan Coogler is on a whole nother level. This guy's just fucking cooking, dude. I just love this shit. <laughs> oh man. So after so after all this happens, right? Um, 
So after uh, Killmonger ingests the herb, he starts mobilizing an army. He gains the support of the of the various tribes. Um, Nakia, Shuri, and Ramonda end up um, fleeing to the Jabari tribe. And yeah, M'Baku offers them asylum and also reveals that they saved T'Challa. That after he was thrown out, thrown off the uh, waterfall, that they found him in a raging river and were able to save him. I'm not really sure how because they're the mountain tribe, but yeah. <laughs> the point is that now Mbaku is very much a character that you know we liked. We, you know, we liked even though he was a foil to T'Challa earlier in the movie, but now that he's an ally of T'Challa, you probably like even more. And and kind of a reluctant ally, right? Because even in the scene where where they are like, you know, meeting with Mbaku, it feels like Mbaku is very dismissive of them. And, uh, you know, once he has lost to T'Challa, seems like he has no interest to the throne as he did earlier. Well, I like what he says. He's like, I'm, well, I won't all sacrifice any Jabari lives for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fair. That's what I'm That's super and, fair. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't want to blame him. Like, uh, a king, a proper king or a proper leader wouldn't want to sacrifice his people if he didn't need to. Um, and uh, T'Challa at this point, uh, however, he is able to get uh, one, um, one of the heart leaves, uh, one of the heart shaped leaves that I believe, um, uh, Nakia was able to save, and she ends up uh, giving it to T'Challa, uh, to T'Challa, sorry, <laughs> to T'Challa, who ends up, um, who ends up uh, visiting the astral plane one more time after they bury him in the snow. I, by the way, I hate the ceremony where they got to bury people and stuff. I'm like, I'm I'm good (laughs) off of that. (laughs) So they bury him in the snow where he goes to the astral plane one final time and he confronts his dad and he, and he confronts T'Chaka over killing his uncle Mm -hmm. and his uncle and his dad just says, yeah, I fucked up. (laughs) My bad. <laughs> like you know, he takes responsibility for what he did, and he and he blames himself for now the, the situation his son finds himself in. Um, and so he tells him to follow, essentially, to follow what he believes is the right thing to do, uh, for him and for his people, and that's what will make him a great king. Uh, when he returns, um, he's ready to fight. He dons his uh Black Panther suit again. Uh, and him, Ramonda, Shuri, uh, Nakia, and Okoye. Well, Okoye is still with the, with the um, what's their name? They have such a cool name, the Dora Milaje. Uh, so they're still honor bound to protect the the king of Wakanda. But he takes the rest of the women, and essentially they're gonna take Wakanda back. Um, mm-hmm. and you know the. the as uh Killmonger is preparing to start sending ships after um or to start sending them around the world, one of them goes down in an explosion, and then we get to see uh Black Panther walking towards Killmonger, and we see him walking towards the border tribe, and he just starts shouting that he never yielded, and as you can see, he's not dead. So, uh, saying that he's going to complete the challenge against Killmonger. 
mm-hmm. and he ends up like soloing the entire tribe. <laughs> yeah. He starts getting into a fight with the border tribe, and every time they get the upper hand on him, he's able to use that uh the suit ability to knock everyone off of him using like force. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, 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 every time you see him, he's blowing away an entire group of people. <laughs> For real, dude. On so on top of that, he has like super strength, so he's just like kicking people's ass. <laughs> At this point, Okoye and the rest of the Dora Milaje uh turn on the king. Uh they get into a fight with him. Um you know, this buys uh Shuri some time for her and Everett Ross to go in and um take over some of the ships. Knowing that they had to take out, I can believe it's something like six of them, so that gives us kind of like a ticking clock. Um, so while so while um Ross is uh flying or remote flying one of the one of the ships to take out the other ones, essentially Black Panther and his company got to like protect him. Um. You know, uh, Nagia ends up using one of the Dora Milaje armor as long as, as well as some weapons, and she jumps into the fray as well. And they end up getting surrounded by the uh, border tribe, and almost, you know, on the brink of defeat. Uh, and just when things seem like they're at their most bleak, you hear Mbaku and his uh and his gorilla growl again. Love it. And my favorite thing, I don't know what his vibranium weapon is, because as far as I know, he just has that staff that he just knocks people out with. Mm-hmm. So him and the rest of the Jabari tribe come uh, to the aid of the Black Panther. Um, they manage to help turn the tide on the battle. And then we get that awesome fight scene between uh, Black Panther and Killmonger. Yes, um, where like it falls into the hole, and you end up down on what you find out is like commuter train tracks. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, and um, you find out that the vibranium like offsets their suits, so it's like every time get... the train goes by, it like the suit is coming apart, which makes it a much more like even fight in terms of like suitabilities and stuff. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. I, I really liked it. It makes them vulnerable, and then they gotta like, and yeah, it they also just, gives like, you the ability to look at the actors' faces as they're like talking to each other while fighting. It's a really like interesting, fast-moving action scene, and like the way that you know both of them are fighting as they're falling into that hit onto the tracks is is so good. And it's like as they exchange blows, it was really brutal, and as one of the the train passes by. Um, T'Challa is able to like disarm Killmonger and stabs him right in the chest with the spearhead that he used earlier as a dagger. Um, and it's like the suit closes in around him, and that's like the only thing keeping him alive at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, just like Killmonger is just in this, in this like. Like, he doesn't believe it, like, that he's finally, like, gotten beaten. Um, T'Challa says, we can save you. And he says, so what? So I can, um, why, what? So you can, uh, just, uh, what was the word? Um, 
like so that on trial be, or something. Yeah, yeah, so that he could be locked up. And basically what he says is uh, that he would prefer, you know, to die and be buried at sea um, because he'd much rather, you know, he'd much rather die than to live in bondage, mm-hmm. um, which I, I unfortunately I, I have not. I, I can't I don't remember the line word for word, but it's an excellent line reading. Um again it there is, it is. Just... Uh, well mm-hmm. um, yeah, we can still heal you. Oh, why? So you can lock me up? Nah, just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors who jump from ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. So good. Mm-hmm. So good. And it has so many layers because again. There's enough real like historical context to it. And then at the same time, it just again, he is a character that is so you are hanging on every word of mm-hmm. his. And um even the way he dies is something that's worth watching, you know. Mm-hmm. Um they get to watch the Wakandan sunset. Uh he mentions that it is beautiful. And it's just it's it's a noble death, and despite the fact that this character is a villain, you know, mm-hmm. I know that I'll say this: there is a movement online that talks about how Killmonger was right, and uh, as a, not a black person, I can't tell people what is right and isn't right. But mm-hmm. I'll say that I do think Killmonger is a villain. I think there are plenty, you know, I would imagine there's plenty of people out there who do think he's the villain. But what I do like about it is. You know, it, it the movie brings attention to what he says, and you know, in his death, he fundamentally changes the way our main character will now see things. Mm-hmm. And it's very rare that you get that, you know, that there's real consequence to his death, and that's that you know, it's going to make T'Challa reevaluate the way he's going to lead his kingdom after mm-hmm. this experience. Because like I was mentioning, right, like they're opposite sides of the same coin. It's how they can, how can they be like good leaders to their people? Mm-hmm. And while one side of the coin was isolationism, the other one was, you know, violent revolt and violent uprising. And so by the end of this movie, T'Challa has found a third option, which is outreach, right? Trying to build bridges with different countries and trying to spread um spread Wakanda through humanitarian aid uh, to try to be this. I think I like what he says, an example of what it's like to live in one tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and the outreach uh, that he, that he'll do specifically in Oakland. Again, it's very similar mm-hmm. to the black Panthers. Yeah. Which yeah, that, it, it's just like, it, it's great. It, the namesake of this character, you know, it, it fits in the context of the movie. And then also again, in where the movie is taking place and what it's trying to say again it's just you have to give ryan coogler and the screenwriters and you know the people who put this film together so much credit for Mm -hmm. doing that and then yeah they you know he like he said he reveals where the outreach center is going to be it's going to be in oakland Roll. I wish I could say roll credits, but then you get that cool scene when the UN, where he's like, he gives the speech about how well, Wakanda is going to serve as an example of how to treat one another, mm-hmm. and then you get that dickbag politician that's like, oh, how is a t- country of farmers supposed to do that? Yeah. 
And you know, you got T'Challa with the smile being like, I got you, motherfucker. Wait for that. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the third scene that's just like, hey, Bucky's in Wakanda. And I'm just like, get the fuck out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, that one was, it feels like it's more of a, you know, it's, it's here's the MCU stuff and, and yeah. we'll throw it in there. Which is fine. I mean, I felt like there was enough to still keep you like grounded in the MCU without that part. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, what the next big crossover after this is Infinity War? Yes. Right? Yeah. So yep. I guess Infinity yeah. War came out later that year. Yeah, I think this is like the last so- the last Marvel standalone movie until Infinity War, and then they take a year off, and then Endgame. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And then it leaves the door open for oh my god, I can't wait till next week's movie. Yeah, I, I very much. Again, all right. Well, we can we can close out our thoughts on this. Uh, uh, Javi, do you like Black Panther? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is one of those movies that the more I watch it, the more I realize it transcends just the superhero genre, which is really fucking cool. Uh, you can watch it from a lot of different perspectives from any of the characters. I feel like it's in a, a great ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, I think of all Dev Digital where he's like, three words, ensemble. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, dude, like, oh god, everyone is so fantastic. The late great Chadwick Boseman was a fantastic uh protagonist. Um, Tomonga was written as such a good like heel for him. There was just like like at top to bottom, just like the attention to detail in this world that they managed to create, the the fantastic soundtrack, the great CGI, the fight scenes were the like yeah, this this is high water mark, uh, Marvel, and it sucks. We don't, you know, it's good. It's hard to recreate this, you know. But yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, I also really enjoyed this movie. Again, much like you, I loved it. Uh, this movie was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture that year, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people, you know, made all sorts of comments about, oh, it's because political correctness and stuff like that. Absolutely not. Um. And by the way, I do think that Ryan Coogler's Creed, you know, was the movie that should have been nominated in 2015. Uh, again, it's just uh, he hit it out of the park with this. Um, it, it is a movie that we said it does so much world building. It tells such an interesting story with very interesting characters. It has a dynamite villain that you are just so interested in everything that he's saying and hanging off of every word of dialogue that he has. Um, the end scene, you know, is, is, is memorable and unique. Um, the death of its villain has real consequence and much like you said, it's unfortunate that we'll never really get to see, uh, what the continuation of this movie would have looked like with Chadwick Boseman in it. Um, but I'm also very excited about where we're going next week because again, only when you make a movie that's this good, um, that has this many, you know, interesting, you know, three-dimensional characters, can you attempt to do what they're going to do for next week's movie. Mm-hmm. And that is create a Black Panther movie 
in which the actor who played the back black Panther was no longer with us. So you end up making it a movie about his memory and the characters around him. Uh, and because again, they were made so important in this movie. It's the only reason why it could potentially work. Yeah, pretty much, man. So Let's... we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Um, we're very uh, excited with a lot of the engagement that we're getting. We're getting lots of requests now for reviewing movies. And, you know, for those of us who are reached, for those of you listeners who are reaching out to us on social media, uh, requesting movies, uh, we have not, we are not, you know, it's going to take us some time to get to all of your requests. Um, but key, uh, please keep them coming and we will fit them into our 2023 schedule. And again, I'm just very excited with the amount of engagement that we're getting from our listeners. Um, and I'm excited that we're going to get to come back to the world of Black Panther again next week. And there's a lot of good stuff that's going to be coming out uh, in the next couple of months that I'm hoping maybe we could even squeeze in some new release movies uh, into our schedule. So um, please continue. Please continue to interact with us on social media on our Instagram page. Uh, please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts um, and ratings on Apple Podcasts as well so that the show can become more popular. And uh, leave us ratings in uh, Spotify if you can uh, and find any way that you can to spread the word about the podcast if it's something that interests you and you think it would interest you know, friends around you. Um, and again, we appreciate you guys continuing to follow us you know, um, on in this new year of the show, I, I really think that I, both of us have talked off off mic about how you know we have such a renewed love for this podcast. Um, just in the new year since we've started, that uh, it just all I can do is just be excited about where we're going from here. So um, we're you know we really appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Later, y'all.